Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's time for the Newsmax Daily from Newsmax, America's fastest-growing cable news channel. Now, now, here's your host, Rob Carson. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Newsmax is growing by leaps and bounds. Bounds, bounds, yes. By leaps and bounds. I was thinking of Cleveland, actually. You know, the Cleveland Browns. Because this morning, the, the Cleveland Indians changed their names to the Guardians. And of all of the cities, which you consider, you know, Cleveland to be the least politically incorrect, the most blue collar, these idiots changed the name. They took away Chief Wahoo, whatever. You could say anything you want about Chief Wahoo, whatever. But it's, it honestly, they call themselves the Cleveland Indians. And what you need to realize, by the way, is that these, uh, you know, if you have the Warriors or you have like for the Seminoles, uh, uh, this is an actual um, a tribute, a tribute to uh, Native Americans, okay? It's not making fun of anything, okay? It's like the Vikings. You're not making fun of Vikings. And although I think that, you know, Minnesota Vikings, probably a lot of Vikings that are still alive really are upset by it. No, they're all dead. Anyway, that said, stupid, stupid, stupid. Here we go. Cleveland Indians catch the stupid. And I hope that the fans of Cleveland say, you know what? No, not going there. It's kind of like the idiotic name that the Washington Redskins decided to call themselves, which was uh, the, the Washington football team. It was kind of their way of kind of flipping the bird at the country. But at the same time, I'm not going to be a fan of the Washington football team. It's absurd on the face of it. It is absurd on the face of it. Anyway, Good Friday to you. I don't like saying happy Friday. Everybody says happy Friday. But I hope you had a great weekend. Today, we are going to wrap things up in a gigantic, gigantic fashion. We have two special guests on the show today. We've got author Craig Stanville, who I've been talking about all week. Uh, about his terrific book that you will love. It's called Terms of Service, Subject to Change Without Notice. Going to talk to him. Also, former aide to Donald Trump, Jason Miller, is going to be on to talk about to Get Her, which is a new social platform that I am a part of because uh, I've been booted off so many of even Parler, even the supposed free speech Parler. And I don't post crazy crap. I post the same stuff on every single page, and only Parler said, huh, we got to get rid of Rob Carson. They didn't tell me why, and they did not give me a remedy. So, eh, bye-bye, Parler, bye-bye, Parler, bye-bye, Parler. Also, today on the show, Greg Kelly of Newsmax talks about a literal political gulag in Washington, D.C., housing and keeping January 6th protesters, not insurrectionists, and I'll explain why it wasn't an insurrection very shortly, keeping them in jail for six months, some in solitary confinement. This should outrage you. And also, a Republican senator goes after a nominee that Joe Biden put forth with regard to the Bureau of Land Management. She is a known eco-terrorist. She also was caught lying to Congress about it. All of that is coming up on the show. CNN's dumpster fire town hall with Joe Biden finished dead last with viewers. But he got 81 million votes. Isn't that weird how that happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. What happened? He got 81 million votes, the most votes in, in history. You'd think, you know, he'd be selling out concert venues and everything. They literally had to move all of the audience to the first few rows in the venue and then do some creative camera work to make it look like the place was filled. That's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. The CNN Biden town hall moderated by Don Lemon, whose show failed because the ratings were so bad, got about 1.5 million viewers from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. The other networks did quite well. Fox did quite well. MSNBC actually did better. (laughs) Wow. Just bad. Just bad. 
So it was a it was a dumpster fire. It was an absolute uh, pos. And Joe Biden started off with this this convoluted answer about vaccines and all this, and he just his he, his brain short wired immediately. Here is uh, Cortez and Pellegrino talking with Dinesh D'Souza about the Biden Tyne Hall. Absolutely. Uh, you have a kind of an absentee uh, president. And by that, I mean someone who, well, I wouldn't say that, you know, Biden isn't bonkers in the sense that he thinks he's Napoleon, but he seems to fade in and out of consciousness. There are times when he seems all right, particularly he's delivering a speech. He gets kind of animated. Um, at other times, he alternates between a kind of vacant stare uh, and then kind of staccato outbursts, uh, come on, man, and so on, which really are not that well related to what he just said. So it's everybody sees the emperor's naked now, even the people on the left. So um, it's kind of like actually they always did. They were just lying and denying watching somebody who is at least uh, teetering in and out of dementia. And it's kind of frightening to think that the free world is being commandeered by this very unstable, mentally unstable character. It is time to start acting like adults. It is time to uh, put politeness aside. Uh, there is a way to be civil, but there is also a time where we need to say, this man should not be the president of the United States. He is putting the country in danger. Here's a little bit more with Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, one moment that stood out to me uh, was when Biden spoke with a restaurant owner uh, and he said, you know, I'm having trouble finding workers. This is a problem. Uh, kind of asking for his advice for those, you know, to incentivize those people that haven't returned to work yet. And Biden's response, first of all, he says, well, we kept you open, meaning the government. And then he essentially suggests that he paid, you know, his workers more, which is something that right now a lot of restaurants can't afford, especially given what they dealt with last year and potentially what they may be be dealing with this year if, if any more lockdowns do indeed happen sometimes in dealing with these democrats you get the idea that they have absolutely no comprehension of basic laws of economics they don't realize that just to say to someone pay your employees more uh, these are the same kind of people who would say well you know what if we've got a a $15 minimum wage, why not 30? Why yep. not 50? Yep. Why not $100? Um, they don't have the understanding that, that, that when you set a price... Because they're not business owners, they're bureaucrats. Price, ...you have effects. Uh, and so if someone is um, forced to pay a higher price, he may not be able to hire people. Uh, if you keep raising the minimum wage, uh, then at some point uh, you have people who have, you know, in a sense, you put businesses out of work because they can't afford to pay people that much. By the way, the extended unemployment benefits of $300 nationally per week amounts to $14,400 a year. Most small businesses cannot compete with that. They cannot take the existing wage and add another 14.4 on top of it. It only makes sense. But this has been a backdoor way for the Democrats to get a $15 plus minimum wage. It is. And you know what? Now, businesses can't get people to come and work for $15 an hour. Wow. Just wow. Here's Grant Stinchfield talking to Mark Meadows about Biden's disastrous town hall. Mark, it's great to have you back on the program. Great to be back with you. And listen, what you're outlining, uh, the American people need to know it, uh, because not only are we in trouble with uh, uh, Joe Biden, that quite frankly had a very difficult time with a softball town hall. I mean, how, how much easier could it be than to have Don Lemon there asking the questions, and yet it was one fumble after another. The only benefit that uh, we might have is that their viewership was so far down that perhaps the damage was minimal, but you are a right to point out that is a national security concern it is time for us to say you know maybe it's time to take grampy's car keys away or in this case nuclear car keys here's a little bit more with mark meadows would you like to see joe biden take a cognitive test and what happens if he fails well, without a doubt, he needs to do that. I mean, uh, wherever the president goes, you know, there's a nuclear football with him. There are decisions that he have to, has to make, uh, life and death decisions that oftentimes will come at you in a split second. And, and quite frankly, uh, with what we're seeing right now, we had some uh, view of this prior to November 3rd. But just based on the responses that we're starting to see and, and that continue to come out, uh, it's, it's very troubling. So, yes, we need to make sure he's fit for office and quite frankly there are a lot of people here in washington dc that doubt that i absolutely agree and the left knows it too and the biden administration knows it too and kamala harris knows it too and so does nancy pelosi and everybody on the democrat party they know it too
The time for decorum is past. It is time for you as citizens to demand the answers with regard to the cognitive ability of the President of the United States. And there has never been more naked evidence of a declining mental state in the history of world leadership. Now, despite the White House deal to keep Hunter Biden's potential art buyers anonymous to avoid any appearance of conflicts of interest or undue influence, the son of the president is going to meet with potential buyers in person. Do you know why? Because he's never going to get a half a million dollars for his paintings unless he knows who's buying them so he can pass them along to daddy or also known as the big guy to, you know, do him a little bit of favors. Get him on the old radar, if you will. Get him on the old radar. Get your 10%. By the way, notably, there is a Chinese term which means elegant bribery in the selling of subjective artwork, a widespread practice in China. That, according to the New York Times in 2014. Thought you should know. Here's Jen Saki. Are you ready for some uh, hot Saki about uh, potential anonymous art buyers? Also, we now know that Hunter Biden is going to be able to meet with prospective buyers at two art shows where his paintings are going to be on display later this year. How does this square with the goal of keeping him in the dark about the buyers of his art as a means to prevent even the appearance of undue influence? Well, this showing that was uh, that you're referencing was previously public. Uh, he's not going to have. How any- many calories does it take to lie? Because I mean, that's why she's so slim. Any conversations related to the selling of art uh, that will be left to the gallerist, as was outlined in. She really can't be this uh, oblivious. Uh, the agreement that we announced uh, just a few weeks ago, um, we believe this is a reasonable system that has been established that allows for Hunter Biden to work in his profession. There are pieces by Picasso that have sold in the. The last couple of weeks that have made much less than a half a million dollars. There are pieces by uh, David Bowie in the last week that sold for like 45 grand. Within appropriate safeguards. So he's not going to discuss anything related to the selling of art. It's not about the art. It's about the bribe. Uh, and I would reiterate that the gallery will be the only person who handles transactions or conversations in that vein and will reject any offer. Any true art connoisseur that would spend $500,000 to whatever million dollars on a painting would not look at Hunter Biden's art and go, yeah, I want that and it's worth $500,000. It is all about what I just told you, a common practice in China. We're not stupid. It's out of the ordinary. Wouldn't it be more transparent to just release the names of the buyers so that everyone... Yes, it would be. Actually, that's fairly obvious. Who purchased this art and how much they paid? Well, we don't. We won't know who the buyers are. Uh, Hunter Biden won't know who the buyers are. Yes, he will. He's going to go meet them. So I think the re- the origin, I think, of this line of questioning, which is understandable, is about whether this would provide on uh, provide a situation for undue influence. But we won't know who they are. So there's no scenario where they could provide influence. Um, Hunter's going to meet them. So there you go. Listen, we've got much more on the show coming up. But right now, I've got a special guest, uh, Jason Miller. He's a uh, former staffer, actually, like very high up staffer with Donald Trump. A personal confidant as well. He's got a new uh, social media site called Getter. I also want to get his take on current events. Uh, he is very close to Donald Trump. Let's give him a buzz. See if he's up this morning, ready to go. Jason Miller, Rob Carson, how are you, sir? Hey, Rob, how are you? Could not be better. It's Friday. Yeah, how are things going at Getter? Things are going excellent with Getter. You know, we just launched a couple of weeks ago. We're already at 1.7 million users globally and the exciting thing about this is the way this has taken off globally uh, now we knew in the United States with the the passion uh, being there and the especially with Trump supporters and center-right folks are being censored and deplatformed we knew that the desire for something new kind of a break from Silicon Valley was there what I didn't know is the passion level globally. So give you a sense, about 45 to 50 percent, it kind of varies from day to day of our global usages here in the United States. Then about 50 to 55 percent of the global usage is international with about 13 to 15 percent of that in Brazil. We have President Bolsonaro, uh, who uh, some have affectionately referred to him as the Trump of the tropics. Oh. Uh, he is our first world leader to join the platform, along with his uh, son, Flavio Bolsonaro. Wow. And we are growing. And I tell you, the one that's coming on strong lately what? is Japan. Uh, about six and a half to seven percent of our usage growth over the last two weeks has been in Japan. And there's just this desire and passion for free speech and a rejection of cancel culture and a hatred of three super rich guys in Silicon Valley. Yeah, it, well, absolutely. I was noticing even on uh, Facebook, for instance, Newsmax has a Facebook page and every one of their posts has a, a little a blurb on the bottom about vaccination. 
even if it's about something that's not about vaccination. So it, to me, that that is not only uh, just flagging something and saying, maybe if you're going to talk about this, you should look at this. It is absolutely and nothing against vaccination. I'm just saying, why does a post about the president's town hall last night? What does that have to do with vaccination awareness? Rob, you make the, the point exactly. I mean, this is not about <laughs> this is not about some kind of uh, hate speech or people posting something that's untoward. It literally is now that if you're saying anything that's the slightest bit non-politically correct or contrarian to what the the Fauci's and the, the rest of the globalists are telling you, then you're automatically put in some sort of digital penalty box. Yeah. The reaction that I'm getting is is like people just breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, because even when they went to other alternative sites, either there aren't a lot of people there or like, for instance, with me, I got kicked off a of parlor and parlor was supposed to be the what? I got kicked off a of parlor. Jason, I don't know why they have not. They have <laughs> wait, not... wait a minute. Hold on. This is news. <clears throat> yes. Um, how? I, I mean, Rob, I don't I mean, know. You're, you're the funniest is President Trump says <laughs> you're the funniest guy on TV. Uh, that's uh, and for everyone who's listening. That is a true story. Thank President you. Trump watches the replay of Rob's weekend show from six to six thirty every Tuesday morning. Wow. I, I kid you guys not. Wow. President Trump says you're the funniest guy um, on TV. <laughs> How would you get kicked off? I of don't parlor? know. Here's what here's what I do. I, I post on a bunch of different sites. Uh, I still maintain a Facebook page, uh, even though it's my limitations. I've been so limited with reach. It's just a joke. So I'm, I'm going to stop using that altogether. Parler never gave me a reason, and they never gave me a course of action or a response. It was very much like my big Facebook page, which was reaching two, 300,000 people a week on November the 4th, the morning of, disappeared without any reason and no recourse. Wow. That is pretty remarkable. I mean, Rob, um, you're someone who I, I think is a conservative thought leader. I think you're someone who's a contrarian and likes to push back against the, the big tech oligarchs. I mean, that's part of the reason, quite frankly, why we uh, we started Getter, um, the platform where we're going to support free speech and oppose any of this cancellation but or Jason, platforming you, or, um, or, or censorship when it comes to your political views. But have you noticed that nobody's talking about Parler anymore? And this isn't necessarily just saying Getter is exclusively conservative. It's Getter will let you express yourself regardless of political ideology. It will not censor your political speech, even if you're a raving, uh, you know, Democrat. No, and I mean, to that point, we have handles set aside for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, do I expect them to sign up anytime soon? <laughs> no, but the handles are there, and I'd love to have them bringing their left of center. That's probably about the politest way I can say yeah, it, yes, uh, yes, but yes, their yes. left of center perspective. But hey, but even think back to the 2016 and 2020 campaigns. Think about the proverbial Bernie bros. Uh, you think about the, yeah. you know, President Trump, I think out somewhere in the seven, eight percent range of Bernie voters came over to President Trump. But you think about these folks who've been disaffected by uh, the elites. And that's kind of it, it's so weird, Rob, is now them interacting with all these folks in different countries uh, who have kind of this burning desire for free speech. There is this global rejection of the elites yeah. and this handful, small handful of people that tell us what we can and can't think. Yeah. And in a way these strong beliefs in populism and economic nationalism, making sure people can actually assert their own self-independence is bringing so many people in the world together in a way that uh, some of the big globalist efforts have completely failed in the past. So yeah. people look, people in the U.S. are proud to be the U.S. and they want to determine their own destiny. People now, in Brazil, proud of being from Brazil, want to determine yes. their own destiny. Yes. Nobody wants these three jabronis in Silicon Valley telling them what they can and can't think. No, they don't. And, and I got a couple of other things I want to mention here. A couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden actually paraphrased Stalin. He said that it's not your vote that counts. It's the person who counts the votes. OK, he, he said. The, and then then last week, disinformation or misinformation became uh, very prevalent and they're pushing it everywhere. It's anything that disagrees with the government. Joseph Stalin coined that phrase in 1926. He called it disinformatia. Your thoughts on disinformation, Jason? Well, disinformation, again, kind of going back to the point I made earlier, this is no longer about disinformation. This is about displatforming, so to speak, yeah. anyone who disagrees with Joe Biden or the uh, the, the politically correct wokesters. And that's, that's really where it is. And, you know, uh, Rob, there's the 
the news and the way that we're seeing the, the government function now that has to scare the you-know-what out of anyone who's ever advocated for free speech. I mean, we think traditionally in the U.S., free speech has is, is traditionally been a left-of-center fight going back to the 60s and uh, cultural uh, the cultural changes in the country and even as recently as going through, say, like the gay marriage fight, for example. It's frequently been viewed as a, a left-of-center. The pendulum swings on this. And... Of course, when you go back to the founding of the country, is definitely a, a self-determination type effort. It's why the First Amendment is uh, about free speech. But now the government is openly colluding yes. with their big tech masters to say what you can and can't think. I mean, th- imagine if President Trump yeah. said, hey, so, uh, guys, thanks for coming to the press conference today. Um, just let you know, we're working with uh, Getter or Parler or Gab uh, to make sure that we're regulating who's allowed to post what on these oh. social media platforms. Wow. The press, their heads would have exploded. Yeah. Well, when you're not on the receiving end, you know, then, then your perspective is, is messed up. Real quick, your thoughts on Joe Biden's uh, town hall the other night. Uh, CNN last in the ratings. Uh, this guy got 81 million votes. It surprises me. It's so crazy. Uh, your thoughts on the president's performance? Because I think yesterday or the day before, I should say, it was laid bare to the entire world, If even, even people on the left. Boy, <laughs> Kamala Harris has to just be uh, watching that and saying how long until she moves into the top spot. I mean, <laughs> Joe Biden does not seem like he has it all together. The one thing that's uh, some of the polling has actually shown that uh, Biden's constant gaffes and fumbles are starting to to impact him. I mean, again, it's yeah. the uh, one of the best memes that I saw yesterday was uh, describe your describe your the first six months of your presidency in one picture, and it was when he fell on Air Force One. He, had, he just saw the picture. <laughs> Picture of his hand yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was clutching on the the side of the railing, yeah. um, but look, Biden does not does not look or sound like he has a strong grasp of the facts. Yeah. And quite frankly, Joe Biden does not look or sound like he has a strong grasp of what day of the week it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is uh, this is not good. And you know, one of the things, Rob, just want to make sure we touch on because you're uh, a genuinely pretty funny guy. You know, this whole cancel culture bit has even made it so comedy's not even funny anymore. Um, you know, I went and saw. I saw kind of the, uh, a little bit of the canary in the coal mine here. I, I saw David Spade uh, in uh, suburban Washington, D.C. Maybe it was about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, and he wasn't funny. David Spade used to be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the funniest guys around. And he's just not funny anymore. And everyone is so, uh, it's completely killed comedy. Nobody feels like they can make fun of anyone anymore. Otherwise, they're going to get canceled or deplatformed. Uh, and it's just, at a certain point, I think there's going to be a real reckoning with the political left and with these big tech guys and saying, hey, guys, this has gone way too far. And it's it's uh, we got to be able to express some liberties here. Jason, real quick, I, I want to tell you that if you want to feel good about comedy again, watch Bill Burr's latest comedy special from London. Because he goes after oh, okay. he go, he goes after everything. He goes after London and England's political correct culture. He is unflinching, and the audience goes nuts. I have not laughed so hard that my throat hurt in a very long time. <laughs> you got to watch. It's on Netflix. Bill Burr's latest comedy special. I'm, I don't have the name in front of me, but he's in England. Jason, it'll renew your faith in comedy. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to go check. I'm going to download it, have it ready, watch it on the train, uh, and then we'll talk about it next week. All right. Very good. Keep going with Getter, man. Keep kicking, buddy. It's, I think it's more important than most people think. I think you know how important it is. Especially going into, think about 2022, yes, think sir. about 2024, the continued deplatforming and censorship that's going to keep happening uh, to folks in the U.S., and we have to make sure that we have free speech outlets. So download Getter. All right. God bless you, brother. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. See you, All right. There you go. By the way, that is uh, uh, Bill Burr, Paper Tiger. <clears throat> Bill Burr, Paper Tiger. It is one of the funniest things I've seen in a very long time. It is he gives them what for. Absolutely no no political correctness, no changing your name from the Indians to the Guardians. It is spectacular. Paper Tiger. I've seen it twice. And both times I laughed so hard, my daughter in the other room was like, what is wrong with this man? Last night, uh, Greg Kelly on Newsmax featured a lawyer, Joseph McBride, who is representing several January 6th prisoners. They've been, some of them, brutally beaten, stripped, hogtied, and humiliated by guards. One prisoner blinded in one eye. Ryan Samsel was leading the charge against Capitol Police on January 6th. He's been held in Washington, D.C. On March 21st, he was awakened by correction officers. His hands zip-tied, then walked to an unaccompanied cell and brutally beaten by the officers. Then Ryan Samsel lost an eye in the beating. 
Here's Greg Kelly talking about it last night. Now, the Democrats are saying this is an insurrection. There are no charges of insurrection being levied by the Justice Department, so that is a lie. Here is Greg Kelly talking about the charges that actually have been levied. Of insurrection. Don't believe what the media says. Don't believe what Democrats... We've been through the charges. Let's go through them right now. This is what those individuals are charged with, okay? Parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building. Entering and remaining in a restricted building. Civil disorder, disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. Destruction or injury to buildings or property in special maritime and territorial jurisdiction. Wow. Entering or remaining in the gallery of either House or Congress. You never hear, you never hear about insurrection when you go through these documents. These documents, by the way, which they have purposely made, um, kind of hard to track. I think they want to make this confusing so people won't talk about them like I'm talking to you about them right now. Absolutely. Here's what the mainstream media and the White House is saying about those people who are in jail, none of them charged with insurrection, nor will they be. Actually, there's a law against insurrection. You can be charged with it, and no one has been. So when they say this, they are either lying or deliberately ignoring it or maybe just ignorant. Clearly, this was a deadly insurrection. Clearly, they were attempting to overthrow our government. This is an insurrection. Last week, this is the Democrats Reichstag to discredit Trump supporters and also to distract from the election that was incredibly questionable. And I will say myself personally, I believe stolen. The insurrection was shocking and tragic. We've seen an unprecedented insurrection in our capital and a brutal attack on our democracy on January the 6th. By the way, Americans aren't buying this. They would rather have Black Lives Matter and Antifa violent protesters investigated by like 65%. There is a presidential-inspired insurrection. Plain and simple, an insurrection. The president of the United States incited insurrection against our country. The insurrection was an existential crisis, a test of whether our democracy could survive. When lies are exposed, it makes the situation a lot worse. I believe this all will be exposed eventually. Here is uh, Greg Kelly with a list of criminals who were involved in Black Lives Matter and Antifa protests that are, uh, they were released immediately. A couple of lawyers, no kidding, firebombed a New York City police vehicle, allegedly. They've been charged. This was back in May of last year. Sometime in June, they were let out of jail. These two individuals let out of jail, uh, restricted to home confinement, but that's a lot better than jail. Or being hogtied and beaten until your eye is put out. Well, maybe because they're leftists. Maybe because uh, they're sympathetic to Antifa. And there are a lot of cases like this. Again, if you're on one side or look a certain way, it seems like you're okay. Absolutely, and it's happening all over the country. All over the country. Uh, most of the charges taken uh, dropped with regard to uh, rioting and looting in uh, in New York City, among others. Here is Greg Kelly talking to Albert Watkins. He is the lawyer of Jacob Chensley. He is the guy who wore the horns into the Capitol. He did nothing violent at all. Uh, he took some selfies, but here is Greg Kelly talking to his lawyer. Um, did he break anything? Did he do anything that uh, more serious than what I've already seen? No, we have provided footage of every step taken by Jacob Chansley from the time he walked up to the Capitol, took selfies before he went in, after hundreds of others went before him, every step through the Capitol and outside the Capitol afterwards. He was not violent. He didn't steal. He did not destroy. He did not assault. He said a prayer. He helped the police. He didn't set fire to a liquor store in uptown Minneapolis where they found the charred body of the owners a couple days later. He recovered equipment for the police. He thwarted a theft. On top of that, he didn't burn down a police station. The government knew, and we have found out and shown to the court that Mr. Chansley has mental health disabilities that are long standing. 
He is not a violent man. He's as gentle a human as you'll ever find. Let's move on to uh, Devin Nunes. He appeared with uh, Grant Stinchfield. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has removed Jim Jordan uh, and others from the January 6th commission to look into what really happened and why Nancy Pelosi did nothing with regard to security that day. That will remain covered up in the uh, in the meantime. Uh, here he is talking to Devin Nunes about the people that she uh, wants on the commission, including, of course, we know Liz Cheney, who is, uh, again, so done that her turkey thermometer is sticking out. Well, look, and let's just go back. We have all kinds of committees around here. We have, we have lots of staff around here. The Senate, which is in a 50-50 split right now, not exactly a, a, an example of efficiency. They've already had two committees bipartisan, put out two reports that were largely accepted as, okay, it looks like we, we got to the bottom of this. So she's spent six months doing absolutely nothing other than to just try to politicize this. Uh, that's why, you know, my recommendation from the beginning of this to, to the leadership was that we should not participate because she's only playing a game. But I will tell you, I'm, I'm glad that this happened because the American people, and I think a lot of Republicans needed to see just how far she will go with her drunkenness to get power. It's it's drunkenness and it's dangerous. I agree 100%. So uh, former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos says the Biden administration's education department is as far left as they come after it promoted a radical activist group's handbook. Did you know this? Apparently got exposed and now the Biden administration is backing away. Uh, there is this uh, this handbook that is um, being cited or was cited. She said that she doesn't believe it was a mistake, insisted it was evidence of the far-left policies of the administration, which are undoubtable. Undoubtable, a co-founder of the group Abolitionist Teaching Network is reportedly linked to two DOE officials through the officials' past places of employment. This is a group that promotes and champions the tenets of critical race theory in a federal handbook. Here is Rob Schmidt talking about this handbook and how the administration is running from it because so many parents are saying no to CRT. In reality, the left is just angry they were found out so quickly. Somewhere inside this new government, this new White House, are some serious anti-racist CRT sympathizers who are full out shoving this agenda down our throats. We know that. This week, the Biden White House is doing damage control after... It was caught promoting a radical agenda in a federal back-to-school guidebook. The guidebook... Welcome back to kids. Welcome back to school, kids. Hate all the white kids, okay? And you black kids, you'll never succeed because of institutional racism. ...has a link to the abolitionist teaching network in it, a far-left group that embraces many of the tenets of critical race theory. Here's part of their handbook where they say schools should require a, quote, commitment to learning from students, families, and educators who disrupt whiteness and other forms of oppression. So whiteness <laughs> equals oppression. This is in a back-to-school handbook from the White House. Unbelievable. Here is uh, Rob Schmidt talking about how what the Biden administration did when they got caught. This wasn't an accident. They got caught. Once caught, the Department of Education quickly issued this statement on Wednesday. It was an error in a lengthy document to include this citation. <laughs> BS. Right. If you believe that, I feel sorry for you. BS. Today, the White House tried to lie its way out of a very tricky situation. Everything in a handbook issued by the government has been vetted. The specific site does not endorse. We does not rec- represent the administration's view, uh, and we don't endorse uh, the recommendations of this group. And I believe it's been removed or is in the process of being removed. <laughs> Caught with your pants down. Here is uh, Rob Schmidt talking about CRT in the military. Critical race theory has infected. Many- By the way, the military has been exposed as well, thanks to General Thoroughly Modern Millie, who looked like a complete moron two weeks ago. The facets of our government, education. I mean, he still does. In our military. A recent report showed the Navy was spending less time on combat readiness and more time on bureaucracy, diversity, and wokeness. That prompted the Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, to say this yesterday. You've heard me say that the critical race theory is not something that this department uh, uh, teaches, professes, embraces. Um, you've also heard uh, a couple of uh, uh, people at academic institutions say that, you know, they have required this to be uh, 
reading for their students. It shouldn't be in the military at all. And, and specific courses. Uh, but because that's the case, does, does not mean that this department uh, embraces uh, th- this theory. Oh, you did last week, actually. Modern Millie said that uh, he wants to understand white rage. He wants to understand white rage, among other things. Coming up, Bureau of Land Management has a terrorist as a nominee. I'm not lying. We're going to share that in just a moment. All this week, I've been talking about author Craig Stanfill and his uh, new book called Terms of Service, Subject to Change Without Notice, available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble for only four bucks. Sci-fi book that is very dystopian and really looks like America and the world in 2021. Let's give him a call, shall we? Get to know. Craig. Oh, this is Craig. Hey, Craig, how are you doing? Rob Carson calling. Rob, glad to hear you. Hear from you. It is great to put a, a voice with the the author. <laughs> uh, it's great to put a, a voice with your voice. Well, <laughs> well, I've enjoyed talking and sharing the book with my listeners. Uh, it sounds fascinating, and and if you've heard me talking about it, I think your book is so timely right now with what's going on in America. I mean, it's called Terms of Service Subject to Change Without Notice. And I mentioned the other day that this entire misinformation, disinformation thing is exactly that. Because one day masks are good, the next day they are disinformation. You know what I'm saying? It's just like in the book. They create whatever reality they need to recreate. Just like in 1984 and just like in the book. Yeah. It seems very dystopian, and, and I don't know how long you've been on the planet, but... Um, I'm 64 years old, so I don't quite remember the Red Scare, but I remember uh, the Cold War and all that stuff. But you know, George Orwell has got to be looking at life in America right now and going, dang it, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 1984 was based on uh, sort of like, well, seeing what surveillance technology might be from the uh, vantage point of 1940, mm-hmm. and now look at what we got, oh my God. You know, uh, Big Brother never had it so good. Big Brother couldn't even imagine what we've got right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Big Brother is watching, damn it. Oh, my God. When you think about this, you know, and I use Camara, this is a much more simplistic uh, comparison. But, you know, when I was a kid, I would I would watch Star Trek and I'd go, oh, my God, look at these amazing, you know, telecommunications devices. It, they, all they had really was a, uh, a glorified walkie-talkie. That's what they had on the planet. <laughs> I mean, they could beam stuff. Yeah, no. We had no idea that you'd be carrying around a super computer with a phone app. Like you said, Orwell could never imagine the surveillance state. Orwell could never imagine you walking in your house and not saying the word Alexa very loud because a whole bunch of devices wake up when they hear that name. Absolutely. And, you know, what, what's really important about what's going on here is the problem with the Big Brother state is they can't watch everybody, right? Yeah. You've got, try to imagine Facebook. You've got a billion people. They've only got 10,000 people, so they can't watch everybody all the time. AI changes that equation, and that's the thing people need to understand. The AIs can and do watch you all the time. Wow. They watch, it literally watch everything you're doing, and that's what changes the equation. It's what I call the unholy trinity, information, power, and capability. And, you know, the Internet companies have infinite amounts of information, and they have maybe not infinite power, but pretty close. And it's the AIs that give them the capability to use all of that information however they see fit. And, you know, they can't watch everybody without AIs. Wow. Fiction has become fact. It's interesting. And and we look at it very innocuously. We kind of look at, oh, look, I said the word cat toys the other day. And apparently either my phone or my digital assistant heard me because, look, everything that I open up, every page that I open up on the Internet is talking about cat toys and where to get them. And that's kind of cute and everything, kind of. And then you realize, oh, maybe maybe they're listening for other buzzwords like uh, conservative or, you know, impeach somebody. You know? And then, then you're being well, followed. Actually, I, yeah, well, let me, I did an experiment the other day. I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm a computer scientist. So I did an experiment the other day. Okay? I, I took a meme and I created a meme on my computer. And it said, this meme has nothing to do with COVID. By the way, I think you should get vaccinated. And that's basically what it said. And I uh, put it up on my Facebook page, and people started sharing it and getting the scary, oh, this is about COVID warning. Now, what that means is that the AIs looked at my picture. No human has time. The AIs looked at that picture. They parsed it, and then they said, oh, Craig is talking about COVID. They're processing every image that comes across their desk, I think. Wow. And, you know, they don't just – they could look for anything. They could look for – 
American flag. They could look for a Trump flag. They could look for you you carrying uh, a hunting rifle. You could, you know anything they want to. They can go looking for and they can tell who your friends are, and yeah. they can put all that together. And they they can and they do that. Wow. Let's talk about your book and and why it is okay, such, okay. A, such a great read right now. Certainly, we've made it with regard to being uh, relatable to society today. Uh, tell me a little bit about the protagonist and the story behind this. Okay, well, the protagonist is a young person named Kim. The gender of Kim is never uh, revealed, by the way. Kim is like you know just just a, just a person. Kim goes to work and. Uh, Lives under the thumbnail under the thumbs of the uh, AIs. You know yeah. the AIs tell her what to do. The AIs tell her where to go. They tell her what she can buy. They tell her who she can sleep with and all that stuff. And she just takes it and accepts it because she's been used to that. And uh, very quickly you understand that the AIs are always watching and that the AIs have a huge amount of control over her life. And she's not very happy because she's not living the life she wanted to live because that's what happens when you live your free, lose your freedom. <laughs> yes. You live according to somebody else's rules, and how can you be happy living somebody else's life? Yeah. We don't live in the real world as much as we think we are. We live in a virtual world created by the Internet, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, in the book, there's a lot of virtual reality to make that more visceral, but we experience life through the Internet to an ever greater extent. And I like to think about the Internet as a country. Let's imagine that you actually live in a country called the Internet. Well, what kind of a country it is? It is. Mm. You've got a king called Zuckerberg. He's a king. He's got a bunch of territory. Yeah. When you're in Zuckerberg's territory, you do what Zuckerberg says, whether you like to or not. And he can just say anything he wants. If he wants to, he can exile you. He can make you go away. Uh, he can censor your speech. And uh, wow. I thought we had a revolution to get rid of kings. But now we're on the Internet in the 21st century, and it's a bunch of kings. And they tell us what to do, and we the people don't get any say. Wow. And that's wrong. That is absolutely fascinating. And I've read some science fiction. I like to read Asimov. I like to read uh, Sagan and, and, you know, nonfiction stuff. But I would imagine some of the great sci-fi writers of the past would also marvel at this time in our history and also be amazed by the comparisons that you're making in the book. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it's called speculative fiction. Science fiction is a kind of speculative fiction. And this is 1984 was a speculative work. This is a speculative work. And it's really in order to see today, you sometimes have to see tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'm showing people the world that we're creating right now. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, where corporations have unlimited power to do what they want to do within their own system. And they've got unlimited amounts of information. And they've got an unlimited capability to use AI <laughs> oh, to wow. tell you what to do and analyze that information. Yeah. And it's not a world we want to live in. No. You know, if somebody thinks that this is like paranoid raving, talk to somebody from China. Yeah. Talk to somebody from uh, Hong Kong. Yeah. If you think I'm paranoid and you think that... Uh, I'm overreacting. Just open yeah. your eyes. Yeah. Look at the world. Yeah. Uh, Craig Stanville, the author of Terms of Service, Subject to Change Without Notice. Real quick, what will people enjoy about this book and what will they take away from it? What they'll enjoy with about this book is going to be the world and the characters. This book is really, it's like all good books, it's a book about a person, a person named Kim. She starts out very naive. She starts out sort of uh, complacent. And she gets shaken completely out of that complacency. She experiences the loss of her freedom or realizes that she has no freedom and comes to understand that freedom is important. And she changes fundamentally. And at the end of the book, she's a different person and reacts to the the world in a completely different way. And she has a lot of trauma. It's a very emotional book in terms of looking at her and her life. And it's scary because it's happening and we don't want this to happen. And that what you'll take away from this is an awareness of just how bad it could be if we don't stop what's going on. And it's only three ninety nine right now if you go to Amazon and Barnes & Noble, which is a wonderful, very uh, cost-effective way to kind of escape from the world we are in today. Craig, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, and I'm greatly thrilled to have you as part of the show. Well, thank you so much. It's been fun chatting with you. All right. You have a good day. Take care. All right, so Craig Stanfield's written that book, and uh, it is uh, Terms of Service, A Subject to Change Without Notice. It's getting almost five stars on Amazon. The reviews are terrific. So let's talk real quick about this uh, uh, Tracy Stone Manning, President Joe Biden's nominee to lead the Bureau of Land Management. She helped edit a radical environmental newsletter that advocated for violent action 
It's from the group Earth First. This was back in the late 80s and early 90s. And yesterday, the other senators who support her were confronted by Senator Jim Risch, who has experience in the logging industry about this terrorist. Well, Mr. Chairman, I, I've only been on this committee 13 years, but i got to tell you, this is probably the most significant act of an insult to a really good agency and the people in that agency that uh, I've ever seen perpetrated by this committee. I don't know how this uh, nomination has gotten this far, but uh, I, I think that uh, we ought to spend some time looking at that. Here uh, he is talking about tree spiking, which is a devastating tactic that these radicals use by driving giant spikes into trees. And when loggers go to cut down the trees, they hit the spikes and uh, can get shredded or killed by the shrapnel. It will, it will either kill or injure anyone that is within range uh, of the shrapnel. That's what tree spiking is. So why do you put this in a tree? You put this in a tree to kill somebody. It's not put in there for fun. It's not a Sunday school prank. You put this in a tree to kill somebody. That, uh, when I studied forestry, as most of you know, we didn't even study this because it didn't exist back when I was in uh, forestry school. It was only when eco-terrorism, and particularly that uh, involved with the national forests, hit its uh, peak that some uh, genius came up with this idea of how to kill people that are working in the uh, in the forest industry. Tracy Stone Manning, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, this happened 30 years ago, and it doesn't matter now. You know, uh, ridiculous. Some of my friends that I've talked with in Congress here have said, well, she made a mistake 30 years ago. This is not a mistake. This was, this is a knowing, willful, intentional act done with a black, abandoned, and malignant heart intended to kill a fellow human being. This is not a mistake. A mistake is when you reach in your stock drawer in the morning and take out two socks that don't match. This is an intentional act for which people are sent to prison and should be. Here is uh, just a little piece of the newsletter that she edited uh, back in the, it's called the Autumnal Equinox Issue, labeled volume one, number three. What is all this uh, BS about sensitive treatment of forest service pig dogs who ream our public lands? Read the entire USFS, United States Forest Service, limb from limb and tear out its guts. It's continued. These swine are evil and must be rubbed out. And it also appears that Tracy Stone Manning may have perjured herself in front of members of Congress. Did you have personal knowledge of, participate in, or in any way directly or indirectly support activities, activities associated with the spiking of trees in any forest during your lifetime? No, under oath. No, under oath. You know, I've, I've prosecuted, I don't know how many cases. This, for a prosecutor, is shooting fish in a barrel. She shouldn't be in front of this committee for being for uh, confirmation to a major, major point uh, in this administration. She should be in front of a jury explaining to them why she committed perjury and why she lied to Congress. My friends, look, if you want to, if you want to uh, confirm her, you absolutely can. But believe me, this stain on this administration will last for the next three and a half years. If the Biden administration wants, wants to have the face and the character of their administration represented by this individual, this attempted murder, this perjure, this liar, this conspirator, if that's what you want in the administration and that's what you want for the face of the administration, Here's your person. She, by the way, admitted in her writings that she went out for at least 10 days into the woods to spike trees with 500 pounds of spikes. She admitted it to doing it, and then she lied in front of Congress. Listen to this. We're putting the trees in the post office sale in Idaho, and they're still there. The Forest Service can't take them out. I asked them if they got plans to take them out. They said, there's no way to take these spikes out of the tree. We, can't, we don't know which trees they're in. Those are still in the tree. Sometime... As time goes on and all this gets lost, it's entirely possible one of those trees is still going to kill somebody in a mill. Well, she wrote the letter, and I'm not going to read the letter in full because it's laced with uh, obscenities, but uh, she said that this letter is being sent to notify you that the post office sale in Idaho has been uh, spiked heavily. Uh, the project required that 11 of us, 11 huh. of us, huh spent nine days in god-awful weather conditions spiking trees. We 
we unloaded a total of 500 pounds of spikes measuring 8 to 10 inches in length. And then she goes on with, again, uh, laced uh, obscenities. Um, she admits to writing this letter. She did this wow. as part of the conspiracy to spike trees in the forest. Unbelievable, but not a big surprise. Before I go, first of all, if you would subscribe to Apple Podcasts today, that would be great. The Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson, if you could leave a five-star review, that would be wonderful. I want you to think this real quick, and I've been saying this for years. Right now, we are a tale of two cities. We are living it. I mean, literally, I've been saying this for more than a decade. We have the bourgeois. We have the proletariat. The bourgeois is us. We are the deplorable. We are the ones who got $600 for having our businesses closed and being out of work for a year. We got $600 thrown to us like cake, just thrown to us. Okay. We are the bourgeois. The proletariat lives in Washington, D.C., and the proletariat becomes incredibly rich. Uh, you got Nancy Pelosi, very rich. Joe Biden, very rich. Never built anything. Has been a career politician for almost 50 years in Washington, D.C. Has never worked in the private sector. We have the bourgeois, we have the proletariat, and we had another, another element to that added by Greg Kelly last night. We have a Bastille in Washington, D.C. holding political prisoners. Tale of Two Cities, 2021. What happens next? I'm not talking about a violent revolution. I'm just saying, do you feel it building? Do you feel it building? Do you feel the anger and the outrage and the sense that we are done with this? We are done with this. We're tired of surveillance. We're tired of being silenced. We're tired of being told that CRT is good. We're tired of our military being woke. We're tired of statues being torn down. We're tired of mascot names being changed from the Indians to the Guardians. We're done. We're done with people not standing during the national anthem. We are glad that the U.S. women's soccer team lost, got humiliated in the first round because they all kneeled during the national anthem. Do you know what I'm saying here? This is a tale of two cities. We are living it and now the Bastille exists in Washington DC with the bourgeois being imprisoned for charges of insurrection that do not exist good always wins truth always wins lies always lose evil always loses thanks for listening today I greatly appreciate it I really do. Uh, if you get a chance to watch my show on Newsmax this weekend, is Rob Carson's What in the World, a loaded show that's very funny. As you heard earlier in the show, uh, Donald Trump thinks I'm the funniest guy on television. So watch it tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, Saturday night, and 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts the Newsmax Daily. God bless you. God bless our police. God bless our military. God bless those who are wrongfully in prison in Washington, D.C.'s Bastille Prison. Uh, God bless Ashley Babbitt, and remember her name, and I will see you Monday. In the meantime, don't catch the stupid. Thanks for listening to the Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson. Check your cable guide or NewsmaxTV.com. Or watch free on YouTube, Roku, Apple, Pluto, Zumo, Amazon Fire, and your smart TV. Newsmax, America's fastest growing cable news channel. Check NewsmaxTV.com for details. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.